0: Hey, you, dare to think. Y'all ready to get funky? Pizza's great, but it's not the gospel. Welcome to the campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am the Chancellor, Pastor Marcus Zill. Warning, the show might trigger you. You don't love the gospel. who let the campus pastor loose in the studio again zilly zilly we're back at it this week with pastor dan silsley from wittenberg lutheran chapel in grand forks north dakota how are you doing dan
1: doing well
0: how are you we're walking through a series here rethinking commonly misused bible verses from dan's book misquoted which is available from harvest house publishers you can get it on amazon and every anywhere else where you can find books yeah, seven eight bucks a copy just a fantastic book uh so if you're thinking about a christmas present and whatnot i urge you to really highly consider this i you know i, I deal with a lot of these uh, things just talking to relatives we all have relatives that are from different denominations and even people within our own church that have certain parts of scripture that they don't understand or maybe even find themselves maybe misusing um We want to get God's word right, don't we?
1: Of course. And when we get it right, we actually have true comfort and hope in Christ.
0: Hey, real quick, tell everybody uh, where they can go to learn about your campus ministry there at uh, the University of North Dakota.
1: Yeah, they could check out our website, wittenbergchapel.com, and uh, find out what's going on here at at the chapel.
0: Do you get a lot of questions from people going, Wittenberg, what the heck is that? What's What's a Wittenberg?
1: Uh, just once in a while. I usually bring that out on Reformation Day, though. Sure. Why are we called Wittenberg? Yeah. But I think it's a cool name. No, it is.
0: It is absolutely cool. And uh, anyways, well, let's dive in. This week's topic, the claim is, and we all hear this all the time, don't be a hater. And they all use what passage? Why don't you fill us in on what passage people like to use to, whether they're Christian or not, to remind us uh, not to be judgmental.
1: Yeah, Matthew chapter seven verse one, where Jesus is teaching there, and he he gives the warning: "Judge not, lest you be judged." I think that's the King James version. Yes, um, and, or, and
0: ironically, everybody knows the King James version better.
1: Yeah, it's it is a fascinating verse because uh, people who would not otherwise consider the Bible authoritative find this verse very authoritative, right? Uh, because it will often uh, be in their favor at least when it's misquoted
0: now i can't begin to tell you how many times i mean who among us doesn't hear this all the time and it's, it's us- everywhere it's usually yeah. in the context of and you know who the heck are you to point out anything in my life you know uh who are you to judge doctrine who are you to tell me that i'm believing wrong who are you to tell me to live a certain way? And they're usually viewing it in the sense of, you're, you're, you're a sinner too, right? Yeah,
1: there is this prevailing attitude that is, I think, gaining traction, which is this, that judgment is bad. So, you know, you don't judge anybody for anything. Um, we don't want to seem like we're being prejudiced, racist, sexist, any of these things. So there's it, it seems to be gaining traction. Judgment is bad. We just simply need to affirm everybody and anything that we encounter, um, precisely because, like you said, who am I really to to make a judgment of, about anybody or anything? But if um, that was
0: the case, neither you or I would be pastors, because who would we be to judge anything? But yet, isn't that part of just to kind of get back to the basics here of this claim? We judge all the time, isn't isn't that? part of what pastors and and everybody, we all make judgments, don't we? It
1: it is part of what uh, pastors, uh, part of their duty is, you know, if they see the lambs under their care um, going off into folly or believing something wrong, um, it is the job of the pastor to to correct them and to bring them back into a faithful understanding uh, and a faithful living out of the Christian faith, um, which requires judgment. But it's not just pastors. It's everybody. Like you said, I mean, judgment is simply um, making an evaluation of something based on something else. So I go to the store and I'm judging which bread is the best to buy, whether it's cheapest or healthiest or whatever. Um, I go to buy clothes and I judge whether or not these clothes are worth Purchasing, or if this book is worth reading, or I mean, we we do judge things all the time.
0: Well, we have I judges, right? We have a judicial system, mm-hmm.
1: and so they're judging things against the law of the land, right? Which is actually a good thing. We appreciate and give thanks to God for judges and, and those those kinds of things. So, yeah, wouldn't, you love, to, wouldn't you love to when you love to try
0: I, that out? If you, you <laughs> I just thought of this. For, sorry, you. Uh, come before a judge and, and, uh, anything you'd like to say in your defense, son? Uh, well, you know, I would like to quote Matthew seven to you <laughs> <laughs> judge, not lest you be judged. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to go real well. But <laughs> Anyway, sorry. I interrupted there. Go ahead.
1: No, that's all right. I mean, so the idea is that judgment is actually good and, um, and, and normal, something that we all do. Um, the trick becomes then, I think, I think the reason it's so sort of despised these days is because there's a sort of reciprocity in our life together. And what I mean by that is, in our sin, if I don't judge you, then that gives me the ability not to be judged by you. So it's sort of like, if I don't Challenge you and what you're doing, then you eventually won't be able to challenge me when you come up against something that that I'm doing that you don't like right and so um and that's not a good thing i mean that's that's not a that's certainly not where the church should be living in their life together, where we're sort of sweeping sin under the rug and ignoring it so that nobody can can call out on anything um that's that's not what God would have us do and so Judge not lest you be judged is actually just the first sentence in a larger teaching that Jesus is doing, um, which actually does tell us, in fact, there is a place to judge. Um, there's just a, a way that we are to go about it.
0: Well, you know, we have to get back um, to the if if we take this completely out of context, which everybody does, then God himself would be contrary to his own statement here if we took it that way because god did indeed judge the world in in the flood (laughs) he he has judged the world according to to its sinfulness and and in fact he meted up that judgment for our sin on on his own son i mean everything that god does has involved judgment and so why should it be any different for us in terms of uh, our following his word
1: yeah, I mean, it's the nature of confessing the truth of the faith, that there will be judgment involved. That can't be any other way. Uh, if you're going to confess something to be true, that also means you're going to judge other things to be false. Um, and the question is, are we doing that properly and according to God's word um, as he teaches here in Matthew 7? Yeah.
0: And so, so I guess the real issue is is not judgment's going to happen, right? It's really about how do you go about judging is the issue. Right. Right. So tell us more about the the context here um, in terms of Matthew 7, uh, because people only know like those six words.
1: Yeah, Matthew 7 um, is part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Um, And so it's part of this really large, long teaching that Jesus is doing here that starts with the Beatitudes, which are also very familiar to people, chapter 5, and then it goes uh, all the way through chapter 7. And this is a part then uh, where he's talking about, of course, do not judge lest you be judged. But then he goes on to say, Can I, can I just read what oh, he Oh, please, about to say? please
0: do. We love God's word here on the Student Union. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> no, go ahead. Which right I'm ahead. so
1: glad to hear. <laughs> uh, for, uh, verse two, he goes on For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, This is such a wonderful image that Jesus uses Um, because of course the speck he's talking about is the sin that you see in your brother and so is the log. Uh, But the log is blinding you and i, I always imagine like a person in, in their office or something and they've just got this this log sticking out of their head and every time they turn their head they're knocking stuff off the shelves they can't
0: and, do anything because they can't the get through the doorway
1: <laughs> yeah and, and then and then they're gonna go do sort of microsurgery on a speck in somebody's eyeball it would know? it would actually
0: um, be the makings of a great monty python skit back You know, I agree. You know, to have a a doctor in his office reviewing the case that he's about to go do surgery and then wiping, you know, washing his hands. And he's got this big log in his, he can't get out of his room to even go do it.
1: It's comical. (laughs) It's just comical, you know, but the point that Jesus is making, I think pretty clear that if you're going to be, you know, focusing on a tiny speck in, in your brother's eye, then you should probably have clear vision to be able to do that. And the clear vision that he's talking about is is not thinking too highly of yourself. And so when we make a judgment about the speck in our brother's eye, we never should do it as if we're sort of holier than thou, perfect, righteous, um, like we have it all figured out. The way that we approach our brother who has a speck in his eye Is being very cognizant also of our own sin which is much larger than theirs Uh, it is a log sticking out of our eye Um, and when when you sort of start to think about that and you start to realize okay I have my own great sin that I must repent and be forgiven of um, that changes the way that you look at your brother who is also a sinner Um, it's not to excuse his sin but it's to recognize that you're in the same boat as him, and you're not going to go to him in judgment and say, um, you know, uh, how dare you? I can't believe anybody would act like this who is a Christian, uh, because you've already recognized your own sin, and you're, you're not surprised when you see an, another person sinning, because you do it yourself, right? Hmm. And so Jesus's point here is not we never, ever judge anyone or anything ever, his point is that when we do it, we do it in love and humility, uh, for the sake of our brother, not to condemn our brother.
0: And it goes without saying that we can't, uh, we can't be discerning in terms of any judgment that we bring if we're not, if we're not uh, being discerning in our own. Uh, self-reflection and going and hearing God's law and God's gospel and repenting of our own sin and receiving forgiveness and this is really about the rhythm of our life, is it not? I mean, we we, we can't even how can we even uh, benefit our neighbor if we aren't constantly uh, returning to the to where we need to go in terms of um, in terms of recognizing our own sinfulness and need for forgiveness.
1: Yeah, that's right, and it's. You know, I think of Matthew 18, that whole chapter, I mean, you could spend an hour just uh, digging out the depths of that chapter, but, but Jesus there talks about, for example, going to our brother when he sins, um, and in the context, we go to him because he's the greatest in our midst. Right. We go to him because we love him, and his, his being caught in sin makes him the greatest, meaning he needs our care and our concern not our condemnation, right? So we want to bring the erring brother back. We don't want to simply judge and condemn and leave
0: it at that. And you know that Matthew Matthew 18, which is also a a very famous passage, everybody, oh, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, you need to follow Matthew 18. Mm -hmm. Well, the process mapped out in Matthew 18 of going to your brother to show him your sin shows you that you need to go to your brother to show him his sin. (laughs) Right. If you know someone is sinning, And you don't go to them after your own, you know, preparation for doing so to show them your sin. You're really not showing your brother love at all by leaving them in your sin, are you?
1: Right. This gets into the question of what does it mean to judge someone in love? Because judgment, we don't usually equate with a loving act. Um, But in the church, it actually is, especially when we do it according to Matthew 7 here as well, that... It's an act of love not to leave our brother stuck in his sin. I would hope that someone would do the same for me, right? Um, But, see, that's a hard conversation, and so that's why we often avoid it, I think. And especially because we're afraid that maybe they might throw our sin back in our face, and we don't want to face that. And so what often results, unfortunately, is that sin just gets ignored and swept under the rug, and and everything is just hunky-dory but under the surface— um, sin is festering, and like a cancer, it will just keep eating and eating and eating until, you know, uh, finally people maybe leave the church or leave the faith and don't know the forgiveness of Christ anymore. Uh, so this judgment of uh, this this text about judgment is actually driving us at the at the gospel ultimately mm-hmm. that we want we want to be able to proclaim Christ's forgiveness over sin. But before we can do that, we have to call it sin. We have to judge it for what it is. Right?
0: No, and you know one of the best examples, and you know you think about Nathan confronting David. Isn't that a great example of of this entire thing
1: Mm -hmm. in action? Yeah, Nathan. Right. He he tells him this parable about the young ewe lamb, right, who then gets killed, and um, and David David is just beside himself. How dare a person do this? And Nathan says, "It was you. You're the man who did that." Um, and Nathan doesn't pull any punches. He just lays out the law for what it is, and and David is brought to repentance, and um, and he pleads for the Lord's mercy, and and um, and he has it, you know. So I think that's a really good example of what we're talking about here. That um, Nathan, out of concern, goes to his brother in love to bring him back to Christ or to God's word
0: but he goes there and judges us. I mean it what I love about yeah. that text is that here 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 Nathan is creates this story um presents this story gets David's ire up the hackles on his back this is a horrible thing I can't believe anybody would do this and then of course I mean talk about the 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 hammer of the law coming right down so that man is you and then he keeps applying the law you did this and you did that and you did this other thing but the moment that that David cries out and recognizes his sin what's beautiful is that Nathan and this gets to the point of why you would judge sinfulness is not to say, hey, I'm better than you, but to bring someone to repentance so that they can have the comfort of the gospel. Nathan immediately pronounces absolution. He doesn't go, wait a minute, I had eight more bullet points that I wanted to throw at you about how bad you've been. (laughs) No, the second there's repentance, that's what he's looking for, and that's what we have to do when we go when we do have to confront someone when we lovingly is we have to go there for the sake of them being able to hear the gospel to win our brother back.
1: Yeah, that's right. And that's our gospel reading for this Sunday is from Matthew uh, 20 or Matthew 18, the end of Matthew 18 with the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, as soon as, as soon as uh, repent repentance is spoken, forgiveness is given. And Peter's like, but how many times do I have to do that? And Jesus says every time, right? Um, because that's the goal we want to proclaim the comfort of salvation to the to the sinner
0: so when we when we think about this judgment you know let's let's think about the you know the context of our college students um i mean we face this everywhere in the church i mean our own parishioners say this to us all the time well you know pastor we're not supposed to judge we say this we hear this all the time when we talk about um when we talk about the you know, get together at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Another time we were you know talking about anybody, you know, having to point out differences in doctrine with other denominations. Oh, you know, that's so judgmental and what. But how does this kind of, why is this so important for a college student? I mean, because where are they going to hear this? I mean, one obvious thing comes to mind, my mind is, you know, the whole, uh, the whole uh, you know, homosexuality. Well, who are you to judge? And so if there's only one verse that someone knows, they're going to throw this at you. Uh, who are you to yeah. judge in terms of homosexuality? Or maybe it's closed communion. You bring a friend. They can't come to the Lord's Supper because they because of this, that, or the other thing in terms of their doctrinal differences or beliefs. Um, but as I always explain, th- that's precisely the point where at the moment where judgment is going to, I mean, you are going to get pushback. Matthew 18 is there. The way it's described that you might have to go back many times is precisely mm-hmm. because this isn't easy, is it? People will not, they will bristle at your coming to them to point this out to them.
1: And it, and it's, it's not always, I mean, I don't know if it's ever a fun conversation to have with anybody about, um, you You know, know, it's not like, Hey, what are you
0: going to do this Saturday? You know, to have fun, I'm going to go fishing. No, I'm going to go point somebody's sin out to them. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: it's, Woohoo. When you're talking with about <laughs> sin, I mean it's never going to be a fun conversation, but it's, sure. it's certainly a necessary one. And for college students, you know, they're faced with it I think maybe exponentially in all of their interactions. I mean, the mood of the campus these days is <clears throat> you do you. Have you heard that, you know? Mm. Um which, which is just kind of you do whatever you want and be whoever you feel that you are, and no one can judge you for that. You just do you and be happy about it. And and that can be a tempting sort of thing for the college student to, to fall into because it's easier. I mean, it's a lot easier to just live and let live, I suppose, than to actually sure. try to have those hard conversations. Um, unfortunately, again, in the church specifically when we do that, sin just goes festering and it goes, you know, unspoken and that just isn't going to do anything good for the body of Christ. And so it's worth having the hard conversations and, um, and, and getting at the truth of the matter and getting to the gospel. Uh, so I, you know, I think college students are faced with this all the time, every day. And so trying to encourage them to lovingly speak, uh, the truth to people, um, Uh, That's a good thing, and we should keep on teaching them how to do that. Uh, But it's not easy, and so we also have to prepare them for that too.
0: Well, and this is where, you know, frankly, a lot of our uh, fellow Christians um, in other denominations who, you know, when you think about the homosexuality issue, the whole Westboro Baptist folks from Kansas that show up on a college campus and their whole point is to scream judgment at everybody, you know, I remember, you know, in terms of the, the homosexual issue, um, I remember a, a student running to me once saying, you know, they were screaming, you know, you're going to hell. You know, well, is that judging? Well, yeah. You're going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. this girl was like, Pastor, why, why is this person yelling? I'm, I, said, I said to them, look, I, I believe in, I'm a Christian, I'm penitent. They're like, doesn't matter. There, the, and the way it's been described to me is that some people, the whole point is to pronounce judgment in such a way that you don't have the opportunity for forgiveness. I mean, that's the most damning thing I can even imagine. Um, and and, we,
1: and it's not what our Lord gives us. Right. I mean, it's not. But it's when not we biblical. see those
0: examples, I mean, people take this they take it wrong on, on the, that's in the opposite extreme of how people take this wrong. But you said something that really struck me. You know, we need to have these conversations and lovingly talk to people. You can't stand up college students in class and say, I you know, just pronounce a pronouncement of what God says. And it probably won't be received real well. You have to kind of pick your spots where, where you have the opportunity and these conversations naturally come up uh, with your mm-hmm. fellow students, because mo- most times and not, more times than not, you're going to be ridiculed if you just kind of make an announcement in the middle of a, of a class. You have to kind of pick right. your spots, don't you, and find those mm-hmm. moments of conversation.
1: Right now we're doing a Christian apologetics study here at Wittenberg on Wednesday nights, and it's just been really good. We've had really good conversations uh, precisely about that, like you know, here's here's how we can go about um, offering our viewpoint, if you want to put it that way, um, and giving good reasons as to why someone should maybe consider our viewpoint instead of, like you said, standing up in class and pronouncing damnation upon everybody. That's not probably going to do much. But in our different uh, relationships that we have with other people, you ha- these conversations certainly come up. And so preparing students, I think, for um, how to think through things when they hear them and how to respond to them in a way that um, sparks more conversation. I think that's really, really important, um, because once that conversation keeps going, that's when the law and the gospel can be spoken and can do their work. So,
0: Amen. Well, yeah. hey, hey, Dan. Thank you for joining us again today. We got you one more time, I think. Uh, Next week, we'll have you on to talk about another one of these. We'll see you then. Looking forward to it. Take care. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfu.org. Learn more about LCMSU at LCMSU.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.